Welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape room. This week, we are joined by Chris Ainsley, the creator of Adventure On, which we will be talking about, and Errol Elmer, who is Woo! on the podcast once Woo! again as guest to talk about fun, the text adventure fun times. Woohoo! Woo! Welcome! Woo! How exciting! That means I won't do my normal things to mess you up, man pants, because I'm not a guest. I'm a guest. I have to be. I have to be like respectful. Will you be? (laughs) I'll be respectful of Chris. Yeah. Chris, (laughs) right, right. All right. Well, welcome, Chris, and thank you for joining us. And uh, so. You are the creator of a program called Adventure Odd. So today we're going to be talking about, well, one of my favorite things. I love text adventures, and Errol actually was the one who organized uh, all of this. And if you played the Cryptex Hunt last year, uh, and you might be familiar with the Adventure Odd interface. So Chris, before I go any further, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you do and how you got into creating this program? That's interesting. Um, So a little bit about myself. Well, I'm a 40-something-year-old British geek, and when I was growing up, I grew up with a lot of text adventure games, and uh, recently I developed a language creation technology, and I needed a kind of kitchen sink demo. So Adventuron was Mm. a way of creating a demo for my language technology, and it kind of took over, unfortunately. <laughs> kind of took over. Sometimes the demo becomes the product, and, and that's what happened in this case. So, uh, yeah, that's the story of Adventure in a nutshell. It's a demo gone mad. So you mentioned you you used to like playing text adventure games. Do you have favorite ones from, from growing up? Yes. So th- there were certain types of adventure games that I liked. I liked the very simple ones, which were the, which were the verb noun ones, which were the ones that stemmed from Scott Adams uh, style games where you have very, very few words. And essentially you're in a room with a bunch of nouns. Those nouns, you have to think of verbs to go with. And they're right. not very, they're not very interactive fictiony, which is another subject. They're not yeah. very fictiony. They're more kind of situ. Here's a puzzle box here. You're, you're in a room with some nouns. You can go to a room with some other nouns think of some verbs to transform those nouns into different nouns and now you're in a different state room so it's kind of a state puzzle box so i i I loved those types of adventures because those types of adventures when i was growing up they often because they were so simple in forms of text you've got some visual element to them and Mm -hmm. maybe i was shallow but i liked having some indication on the screen that i just changed the state of the game so the games with less text tended to have more graphics so right that was on the one side. On the other side, the, there were the games that were really kind of immersed you in a story. And probably my two favorite games of those, of that variety were The Famous Five, which was an ab- adaptation of an Enid Blyton book, the first Enid Blyton Famous Five book, of which I okay. read I read the entire set. And the yeah. second was The Beast of Torak Moor, which was an adventure that I later, 30 years later, parted to Adventure on because I... I loved it so much when I, I loved it so much at the time. So yeah, I'd probably, yeah, that's about good enough, I suppose. It was very interesting because when I first learned about Adventron, because I grew up in North America, I wasn't as familiar with the Sinclair, right? And uh, Z81, all of the ZX80 or whatever, all those different types of computers. That wasn't a North American thing. We had the Commodore and we had 
those computers. It's so text adventures and in, uh, interactive fiction. They're like two, there are two different paths. You have a lot of a lot of this history with with the Sinclair and with all of those those spectrums, and then we had the Commodore and the Infocom uh, path as well, which I was more familiar with. So learning more about that history, because I really like the adventure. There are many reasons why I like the adventure on interface and using it instead, as opposed to if I wanted to go the Infocom route, I would have chosen Inform instead, but I didn't want to go that route because of, well, just uh, how easy adventure on made it to uh, uh, just the, onboarding of it uh, like anybody could if you wanted to play the game i could just give you a web page and anybody could play it mm. and then use it whereas if it was in form i'd have to teach them how to do it by either downloading interpreter or i'd have to use use a, a, an interpreter that's on the web but it's not really made for that so it required a lot more finagling on uh, my part now when you say uh like if you wanted to share the game with other people. You mean like creating the game, right? If you wanted to, is that what you mean, Errol? No, no. If I wanted somebody else to play it. Oh, to play it. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah. So Adventure Run has a reasonably good bundled interpreter, and Inform is more powerful as an interactive fiction engine. I, I think it would be pointless to deny that Inform is much better <laughs> if you're if you're if you're heading if you're in the literary side of things. If you want to create a very dynamic story. And our and friend Gary tells us that every day. So it's all good. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adventure on has its has its benefits, and its benefits tend to come in the interactivity, the media side, packaging, uh, being able to just provide users with a URL. Now, some of those benefits are maybe permanent benefits over other systems. Some of them are temporary, right? Until other systems say, "Hey, you know what? I like what Adventure on's doing. I should do some of this myself." So, uh, Adventure on has some temporary benefits right now. Uh, I don't think they're going to last forever, and they probably shouldn't last forever because the more people that pick up on these particular ideas, the better it's going to get for the players. So Adventure On is just a set of benefits that you can get in one place for now, but later on you should be able to get them from lots of different places, I hope. Absolutely. So like my experience with Adventure Odds, this is like my side of the story, I guess, is Errol was looking for something to create a game in the infamous for those who are listening, you might know of Present Quest, the game that wrecked a generation <laughs> of escape room players, I guess. <laughs> and so I, I Errol just mentions to me, like, oh yeah, I found this program, it's called Adventure on, I might use that. And then like proceeded to tell me, Oh, I think I'm bothering the creator a lot because I, I guess that just led to spamming of um you know spamming your your discord with basically like, can i do this can i do that can i do this i need to do this so what was it like from your it wasn't, end? It wasn't even on discord it was on telegram Telegram. <laughs> so it's like what was it like to suddenly get spammed with meryl messages well it, uh, it really it really depends on what the spamming is about if it's about yeah. um features that are within range right but yeah. and i know they're going to have a direct benefit and if i know i have a good creator that's creating something cool then mm -hmm. some creation that's cool written an adventure on is good for good all around so i'm happy to help anybody that has a good idea and they say look i've got this i've got 90 percent of a good idea but this 10 percent doesn't quite work well it seems a shame mm -hmm. if i'm the blocker for the 10 percent. so i quite like it when there is somebody passionate about 
doing something and you can provide a benefit to that person, you can unblock them. And you can't provide everything, but I tried to compromise as much as as much as I I could. And there are a lot of kind of features in there that were obviously inspired by what Errol was doing, but then they had to be added in a fairly generic way that they could be twisted to do what other people wanted to do as well. You can't just hard code features for one particular game. But if you can see the feature that's being requested and if you can find, okay, I can probably generalize it this way, it's mm-hmm. it's it's really great. I mean, I love it. I loved what Errol did with his game and then his his whole suite of games. Um, I mean that they're they're almost best in class in, in what they're trying to do with Adventure On. You know, almost. the funny thing is he says that he uh he was not he didn't want, he seemed to like accommodate everything asked when I didn't even ask for anything. It's like, does it do this? No, no, but I can make it do that. No, 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 you don't have to make it. I was just, I was just wondering, okay, I, I implemented it. You want to go check it now? I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so Chris was very accommodating to all the things I asked for. Yeah. At the, at the time I didn't have a job at the time. <laughs> it's like, somebody needs me. <laughs> I needed Chris in a bad yeah. way. <laughs> So one thing I did notice on the site, or one of the things that caught my, uh, you know, eye when I first went on was that you encourage. I think it's. I could be wrong. You encourage schools to, or like kids to, to learn adventure on. Well, that was the idea with adventure on classroom. Originally, it was called adventure on. Then it became adventure on classroom. So I baked some lessons into the product, hoping that schools would pick it up. The schools have picked it up, uh, not not in huge numbers, but I hear from schools from time to time they're teaching it in their classes and it's really rewarding. And uh, so I know there, there's some schools in Hong Kong, some schools in America. Um, mm-hmm. I think there is a school in Spain as well that's using it. So they're, they're using that to teach, um, I think, a combination of English and technology, first programming languages. Oh, interesting. I know that it was helpful for me because Errol said, go, go learn it. And I was like, ah, learn things. It was helpful for me too. Just having it at the side there. uh, Like that step by step. And I'm like, I know this is intended for kids, but this is absolutely what I need. Like a kid level programming kind of tutorial. (laughs) Cause I, I know nothing, absolutely nothing. So it was neat to, to be able to be drawn through an example and or led through an example and uh and see what kind of results you could get uh so that was that was a lot of fun i still i didn't end up programming my game because i i'm lazy as um you know as errol's (laughs) as errol's past uh um, mic corrections have shown us (laughs) but uh but it was really cool to learn so along with this you've also built a strong i i don't feel like strong i feel like a strong a strong community with adventure on um and it's kind of great when when you can like get a group of people passionate about that that sort of subject and um uh, so how's i guess how is how is your community i guess i should ask or like how how often do you interact with each other and we how- forced chris to go on discord <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was war of attrition eventually i gave in <laughs> So, so we had to, we that had to sounds tel- like Errol. <laughs> so the, Span- the Spanish users really like using uh, Telegram. So because right. there were quite a few Spanish users, I was using Telegram. Um, and that was fine. And there was there was about a dozen users that were really quite hard, hardcore on the Telegram group. But then mm-hmm. there was the, these kind of, let, let's, let's have a Discord channel. Let's have a Discord channel. And I'd used Discord in the past, and somehow I just hadn't understood it. 
Um, I saw that there was a lot of voice comms going on. I didn't didn't really want to have a lot of voice conversations, but I didn't really understand where's text and you can have voice if you want to. I thought it was a gamist thing. Oh, uh, so, I think it started that way. And then, yeah, it started that way, but it, everybody has a Discord now, I feel like. Yeah, and it's it's gone well. I mean, just having those channels available and having different channels available for asking questions, chatting about particular things. So the community's grown and there's over 100 users now in the Discord and there's a Ooh, section nice. in the Discord for battle-hardened members of the community and these are these are the community members that have created games. So therefore, they go oh. into that section, they get a nice little color, they can answer questions for new users coming uh, along. Oh, they've been cool. in the trenches, they they know what they're doing. They know <laughs> what they're train. doing. And it, it's quite nice because sometimes if I take uh, two or three days away, I can see there's been a question, but it's been answered by the community oh, itself. Yeah. Now that didn't used mm. to happen. It used to be everything had to be me answering, but now there is that knowledge within the community. And yeah, right. okay, I'm maybe the, the ultimate guru if there's something really, really hard. But even very complex, advanced subjects now, everybody seems to be self-sufficient in. So it's, I'm, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Even when it was the Telegram, a lot of people knew uh, how to solve things. I think the one reason why I pushed for Discord at the time is that whenever Chris made an update, and Chris made a lot of updates, and so it was great because he would tell us what those updates are, and I would like keep track of them myself because I wanted to know how to do certain things. But then if I didn't keep track, I'd have to scroll back and I couldn't find sometimes like where in between chats about, you know, uh, trying to figure out how containers work or whatever. <laughs> Don't mention containers. <laughs> <laughs> but between, you know, and then I've like, oh, here, here's the latest update for for what was happening in Adventuron. And so I was, I really wanted the Discord so that now what he did when we did go to Discord, he split everything up on updates and then bugs and then questions. It was great. So, and it, and it's good to see. And it, and it was a lot of people always helping each other out. And that's the great part, right? When, when you have your community helping each other out, it was a very helpful community and we're all, they were all passionate. I still love Adventuron. Anybody that asks about it, and every time yeah. I see it on an interactive fiction thing, it's like, what tool should I use? I'm there. Like, like oh, man, you have to use Adventuron. Because <laughs> well, everybody you. always says Inform. I was like, well, no, maybe you should also. There's, anyway, I, I will. And I can imagine yeah. the creativity that can come out of that. Like, with text adventures in general, right? You're not as hindered by... Um, I don't know. You could do, do any genre, right? And and uh, I can imagine there's been a lot of variety of games that have come out of it. Oh, yes. I mean, there are all kinds of games that come out of it. The ones that are more story-centric and ones ones that are more puzzle-centric. So mm -hmm. in, in the early stages, I had to kind of write some games myself, which I never intended to do, but you kind of have mm -hmm. to do it to lead the way. Otherwise, you can't demonstrate that it could be used for actual games. So right. I had to write a few games. I haven't written games in... I don't know, maybe a year and a half or two years now. But I wrote some games and I didn't think that I could do it. And then it was quite pleasing to me to know that I could in the end, if push came to shove, uh, necessity is the mother <laughs> of invention. So uh, I knew what I was good at and I knew what I was bad at. And I was bad at telling a story, but I thought I was probably good at making a little puzzle box. And I'm pretty happy with the puzzle boxes that I made. Uh, probably not, not nothing cryptex level, but... Uh, that's probably a good thing. Uh, <laughs> it makes, you know, when people can win and solve a puzzle, it makes them feel good. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, there was a, there was a particular puzzle with a bird that that people didn't really understand, which I was right. which I learned which I learned a lot from. Uh, I think if you take two two objects from a nest, you get attacked by a bird and killed. Uh, but if you oh. take one, if you if you deposit an extra object, you can take an object out. Uh, I thought ah, that was something okay. that you would you would kind of learn by um, maybe osmosis, and you would you would try it out. And I have this kind of theory about in, instant death, which is that instant death can be a great can be a great thing inside a game, as long as the penalty for that instant death is is not very significant. So mm-hmm. if you let's say you you die often. The death itself can be the clue to the puzzle because clues can be distributed in, in different ways. So you could have a clue that is you examine an object and it gives you a message and that message is the, the clue. It could be the combination of objects that's the clue. Right. But what if the death is the clue? What if, what if the design of the game is such that mm. you learn by the death? Now, the death doesn't have to be horrific or anything like that, but I, I do like a few beeps with the death. So I thought, well, if I can make the death not very significant. So it basically takes you back one turn. You learn, okay, that's the thing that I shouldn't do on the next turn. And so I quite enjoyed playing with death, if that's the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's a, there's a game I played recently that kind of plays around with that idea called I Expect You to Die. Have you have you heard of it? It's on VR. And no. it Sounds is a game where you enjoy the deaths, right? Like it's like death is a part of the game, but sometimes it's like you, you, you learn from the deaths, right? Like you walk into a room and it's like, all right, I'll walk into this room and a saw might come out and like decapitate you. And you're like, oops, well, I guess I know not to do that now. And, and you wouldn't really have known otherwise, but it also is very forgiving. Like you say, like as long as the deaths are pretty forgiving that you don't have to, go all the way back to the beginning or like go all the, or like, uh, it, or it doesn't, it's not that arduous to, to have to do or it over again. Or you have to find disc number 23 and insert it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want that. So, so when, oh, I, when yeah. I was little, there was this, uh, there were lots of traumatic um, games and media that were designed for children, but they were also designed to be traumatic for children. These days we try to avoid trauma, right? But but in in the 80s when I was growing up, it was like, let's traumatize kids as much as we can. That'll teach oh, them a lesson. The secret so, of Nim, I just saw. So, <laughs> so there was this game called uh, Granny's Magic Garden. I don't know if you know of this game. Uh, it's also known no, as Gran- Granny's it Garden. It sounds like it should be delightful, but apparently it's not. <laughs> It's not delightful. So this was one of the one of the games that that you played when you were at school. So they had this computer called the BBC Microcomputer, and ah. it was a very, very, very light, almost a text adventure, but not really a text adventure. Certain t- certain points in the game, you have to type a verb noun, but other types in the game, other moments in the game, you just have to select options. But I think there was this puzzle where um, there is a witch inside the game, and you find a broom inside the cupboard. Do you want to take the broom? Oh, the choice is offered to the to the child. The child says, "Yes, I want to take the broom." Oh no, it's actually not not. It's actually the witch's broom, and the witch is going to come come at you and, and get you. And there's this horrible, ugly face, and lots of beeping and flashing oh, the witch's God. face on the screen. <laughs> yeah, Google um, it right now. This the witch looks horrible. Yeah, <laughs> All in pixelated glory. Really blocky and it's yeah, called she'll... Granny's Magic Garden. No, com- yeah. Granny's Garden. Just type in BBC Microcomputer Granny, and then I'll complete it for BBC you. And then Micro... this thing looks like a cross between like a crow and an alligator. It's pretty. What? 
<laughs> so, so this was this was a game that was played played by most British school children in the eighties and probably early nineties as well because they Good converted grief. to newer computers. Yeah, and I don't know how educational it was, but it seemed to come on every computer. <laughs> <laughs> so that it, that, that was that was the game. And at last, well, no, a couple of years ago, I made a game called Spooky Adventure, which was a very small adventure. And mm-hmm. it, it had a witch, it featured a witch. It just told you there was a witch inside the game. Uh, I kind of wanted to create that feeling of tension and that there might be instant death around the corner. Um, but I had to put a kind of little disclaimer at the beginning saying, this is very, very scary. Um, right. And if I said it was very, very scary, then, you know, if you go in there, you know what to expect. And I don't feel yeah. bad about, you know, jump scares. But there was, I think there was one jump scare in the game and, you know, it wasn't that bad, but these days you kind of have to warn about that situation. Yeah. Yep. But because I kind of enjoyed it myself when I was growing up, I thought, oh, you know what, I want to put that in the game, <laughs> but, but I don't want to traumatize people too much. So I'll give them a warning. But actually the warning kind of give you that sense of tension that something could happen, even though nothing was happening for most of the game. Right. I put a jump scare in my game. You did. I hate you for it. <laughs> you did not warn. You you warned of other no, things. You did. I you warned did have a content that warning. Was, I had that it was a horror game, you and it even involved, involved cutting. So there you go. Yep, that there yeah. was blood, and mm-hmm. yep. But still, I hate you for that jump scare. <laughs> I, I don't like jump scares. No. <laughs> Especially when you're the one that has to control it, like. You're the one that has to initiate it. You have to go forward. At least with a movie, I can like hug a pillow, brace myself, yell at the characters for being so stupid. And now in the game, I'm like, no, I have to be the stupid person. And yeah, but then was I mean, you wouldn't have known because it's the there's only one jump scare, and I don't tell when it's gonna happen. So no, you don't. That's the point of a jump scare. You can't, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, like, I, yeah. Did it have sound? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you should have selected was, no sound at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No sound. No, I think I had I I used I, what I wanted to do is that there technically you and I didn't ask you for this, but I wanted to somehow have a timer uh, so that I could have and I you know timers aren't exactly fun, but I I didn't I wanted a timer not for a puzzle, but so that I could time a jump scare. <laughs> That was my main purpose. I was, but so really, what this, what I did in the end is that you had to click. Yeah, I just had to go to the next reading. You just click mm-hmm. space to go to the next. Yeah, and then that's when I threw in the jump scare there. So, <laughs> but it would have been fun if there was a timing thing. <laughs> I bet. I yeah. bet it would have no, been fun. It's all good. You've Wait, had a number. Wrong. Yeah, yeah. You've had, you've had a number of like um escaped or sorry not escape team you had a number of uh jam uh game jams that's what i'm, yes, what I'm that's looking what that for that's gonna be my next question yeah, yeah oh sorry yeah. ask your question there ask man the question. no 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 yeah so i was gonna say like um i i did notice that you you had game jams i think errol you did did you you participated in the one right that was where president quinn one. yeah came that's from. when i yeah. wanted to like learn more about it and learn more about game jams because chris has tons of them he puts yeah. on a game jam all the time well no no not these days i think the last game jam that i had was a year ago other than the game jam that's starting now so i've had a year break on those on those game jams but before that i was having three or four game jams a year and probably Whoa. i'll have another game jam later on this year as well so i've done an escape room game jam where it's it's basically like 
a day maybe that you have and it's that's far different i feel like from video game game jams where it's it's a far longer time period so how how do you organize something like that and is it usually single people doing it or like is it individual projects or do people get a team together to married people like (laughs) well it's it's mostly it's mostly individual uh individuals but there was a team i believe from south korea that made a game i can't remember the name of the game it was Was that the pigeon one pigeon one which had amazing music and amazing art what was that called i remember the pigeon one hello hello pigeon or something like that. Let me, let me, Sorry, let me take a look right now. I'll look at it right now. I'm on. I'm on. And I, then I checked out that music, and I really like that music. Feathery Christmas. That's what it Feathery was. Feathery Christmas. That's the one. Yeah. It has great music, <laughs> and it has a kind of maze puzzle towards the end of the game as well. Yeah, yeah. It had. Yeah, it was interesting because you. It was. It became where you had to like move a little bird or something around. Yes, yeah, so they were using. The, they were using the overlays in a very creative manner. They were. They were using the overlays like tiles, and it was the first time that I'd seen it used like that. Hmm. I, I. I remember asking uh, when he when Chris first introduced overlays, and I was really excited about the overlays. I was excited about a lot of the. Updates I bet you were. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I um. Yeah, so I'm curious, like with a game jam, with a video game jam, I guess, uh, or like with a, the text adventure game jams, um, is, are there like certain points people have to hit? Or is it basically like between this point and this point, you'll make an entire game? Uh, or well, well, there's kind of the, the pre, there's the announcement period, then there's the official start date, then there's yeah. the then there's the end date. And I shouldn't say this, but the end, the end date a lot of people have trouble hitting the end date. So (laughs) typically it might be extended for a day or two at the end. And I kind of realized this early on that you kind of have a soft end date, then you kind of have a hard end date. (laughs) But people need that soft date. Um, They need that soft date to motivate them. And then if you give them a couple of extra days, then things really get done in those extra days. Those are like maybe the last 50% happens in the last two or three days. It's like how I used to tell my friend when we were meeting up and she was always chronically late. Like if we had to meet up at 1130, I would just tell her to aim to get there at 11, knowing that she wouldn't make it. (laughs) So so there's there's an element to that. So part of organizing these jams is kind of learning what human nature is. And human nature is to leave things until the last minute. That's just you know, I do it. I think everybody does it. They, they say, oh, this is the deadline. I've got enough time. But yeah. by the time they get close to it, they realize they don't have enough time. They start to panic. So the main thing is to announce the extension of the soft, uh, well, the, the extension from the soft deadline to the hard deadline a few days before. Otherwise, they'll give up before they're even yeah. approaching that soft deadline. So that's typically what I do. But now that I've announced it, it won't work anymore. We <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't know. We 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 can always yeah. So so now out. so now they won't be looking at the soft deadline as a soft deadline at all. So that that's the way the deadlines work. And then there's a judging period after that deadline, and mm-hmm. typically that's open to the public and possibly open to abuse. But I don't think it's been abused so far. <laughs> I, think the, I, I think the community has been pretty good. You would recognize abuse in that something that's not worthy would float to the top and right. uh, so far as i see then you know you can you can have your own individual idea of what the top one is for you but you know when something is near the top that they deserve to be there and that's what i've seen 
you know, across mm-hmm. the board. I haven't seen anything that really sticks out as doesn't belong to be at the top. You know, the top three are generally, in my mind, the top three. And is there like a judging panel or is it is it just a cut? Is it just so once, once there was a judging panel um, and that was an all-star judging panel at the time, but it's difficult Ooh. to get those judging panels together. Um, yeah. And so if, let's say they were bigger, the jams were bigger in scope, then maybe it would be better to have a judging panel. But you don't know how many how many participants they're going to be. So if you have a judging mm-hmm. panel, let's say you have five judges, and then it turns out to be very popular, and you have thirty games, they right. they've got, they have to commit to playing thirty games, or at least a big slice of those right. thirty games. So that's the trouble with panels, and that's mm-hmm. why you can't truly get you know the ultimate fair result. The ultimate fair result would be everybody plays every single game and they're applying the same methodology to the way that they're racing the games. But there has to right. be some subjective element to the way that it's working. And at a macro scale, everything just works out. And, you know, that's kind of how yeah. it works. Yeah. What's What's been your, I guess, one of your favorite themes? How do you how do you arrive at a theme for a game jam? And what's been one of your favorite ones? Um, trying to think now. There's been a, there's been a few... I quite I quite enjoyed the minimalist theme. I can't remember what that was called. What was that jam where everybody had to use two words? Oh. Uh, everybody just had to use two words for all of their location descriptions and object descriptions. I'm going to find wow. it now. It's been too many jams. I can't remember the name of them. So we have Adventure on Cave Jam, Adventure on Halloween yeah. Jam, Treasure Hunt Jam. Was it Treasure yeah, Hunt Yeah, it, tre- it was the Treasure Hunt Jam. The Treasure Hunt Jam. I'm a sucker for treasure hunt games. Uh, I love a good, <laughs> I love a good treasure hunt because treasure hunt games tend to be less narrative focused by the nature of them. You know, you've got to seek this thing and you've got to seek that thing. And I thought this is going to be a puzzle box, and it was a puzzle box. And there were some some good creative games. Basically, that Zork is a treasure hunt jam. Yes, uh, Zork, but Zork is, I would say. <laughs> Uh, very complicated. The first one, yes, yes, it is, yeah. and it's it's a very very large game. This this mm-hmm. was more in this kind of Scott Adams style. Yeah, and what it yeah, was yeah, based yeah. off is it was soon after I created my own game two, which was a two mm-hmm. word jam. So it's a two word game where everything was two words, and I thought wouldn't it be interesting as a jam theme if you were limited to two words? I think there was quite high participation in that jam as well. So when you say limited to two words, what is that? What is that? mean from a playing perspective like would you walk into a room and it would just have mm-hmm. like two things in there and that's it no mm-hmm. oh, okay so the the limit the limit is the limit was that a location can only describe itself in in maximum of two words so it could even be one word so one word or two words okay objects are limited to two word descriptions responses right. from the game are limited to two words so, uh, okay. So, like, uh, if you let's say looked at the dog, you'd say look, look, doggy, or examine doggy. It would say <laughs> doggy, doggy hun- hungry. So, you, <laughs> so you you basically boil everything down to can can I get everything down to two words, uh, verb noun, oh, uh, the responses, and so it becomes a it becomes this state stateful puzzle box, like I described earlier, that that everything yeah. just has to be boiled down to its basic elements, and if you want to describe detail in a scene then you have to describe it in the object list so the things inside the scene are the objects which makes everything more interactive naturally because every single object should have an examine message and each of those examine messages could net another two words 
So right. you can get other two words by examining things and you can have a big list of things that you can examine to get two words at a time. But those two yeah. words should be the clue. So your two, your clue is baked into those two words. So it really just focuses you on how on puzzles. How can I bake puzzles into these two word kind of blocks? Yeah, I, re- I remember playing it uh, when I was first learning about adventure on, and that two word restriction actually became part of the clues on how to solve things. It was very helpful because, <laughs> like, oh, can I do this? Oh no, no, I only have two, so two words. So maybe I have to do it this way. And, and oh, it's easier works. to play. It's easier to play games when you know what the rules are. So yeah. in the past, there used to be a system called the Quill for the ZX Spectrum, which mm-hmm. is this 80s computer. And if you knew the game was a quilled game, you knew that it could only understand two words because that was the limitation of these, these quilled adventure games were two words. But mm-hmm. that was kind of freeing. You think, well, that's so limited. You, could, you want to write a sentence, you know, ask, ask the inspector about the beast on the moor. You, you could write these kind of literary sentences that an Infocom adventure could understand. But yeah. it's also freeing to know that Anything after two words, it doesn't understand anyway, right? So just limit your input to two words. And you can then interact with the game really quickly because you never have to type more than two words. So That sounds like a dream game for Errol, actually. It's just uh, yeah, <laughs> limited dialogue. Um, but that, that, is, that is really cool because it's like how much information can you convey within two words? Like, yeah, like basically boiling it down, like you said. That's really cool. What's, uh, what's the current... What's your next one going to be? Well, it's the second annual Text Adventure Literacy Jam. So I'm calling it Text Adventure Literacy Jam 2022. Uh, so I ran ran this competition last year, and this is the you know most recent increment of it. And in this jam, the goal is to create a text adventure suitable for absolute beginners. So it has to be a text adventure oh. game where if you don't know how to play text adventure games, it teaches you it has a baked in tutorial that's generally best practice these days because not a lot of uh yeah. people especially young people know how to play the games so if you're writing a text adventure game without a tutorial you've basically just thrown away anybody under 40 <laughs> that is that is a really good point and I, i'll throw it over to arrow because i know that was a big uh, that was a big thing during your cryptex hunt last year was oh boy yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. figuring were, out how to teach people how to how to do a text adventure there were a lot of well it was funny because i was i was spanning to i was spanning two audiences people who knew puzzles and people who knew text adventures and they were all confused with the other so people who knew how to solve puzzles like how do what i i what do i type and they'll just type any old thing and they'd get errors and like i don't know what to do here and then people who knew text adventures what kind of puzzles are these what what do you want me to do so i trying to make sure that i could create a game that could do both was it was a learning opportunity it was it was great but it's very true chris helped me an awful lot with the tutorial aspect uh, i i i grew up on text adventures so for me i kind of took a little it biased for, yeah, i took it for <laughs> granted but there's so much that that you need to teach people on how to that's actually one of the reasons I liked Adventure on because the I, the colors helped. I mean, I yeah. grew up not having any colors, I not even having graphics, but bringing people into playing them and typing that out, having graphics and having colors and having prompts, every all of that helps 
significantly if you're, well, if this your, is not your, something your games used, used to this kind of color coding mechanism where you had certain colors meant um i don't know whether directions and certain colors were yeah. interactive objects yeah and certain and colors if you understand, only... yeah if you have that design language and if you teach that what that means from i think from your first game was mostly the tutorial game where you were teaching mm-hmm. the players how to play mm-hmm. that game how to read that and i think you tried that out in present quest as well that was very very easy to interact with and it was very pleasing to the eye and you knew what was interactive you knew what wasn't interactive you knew you knew what could be did did you have a color code for takeable things as well yeah so light green was takeable light blue you can only examine but it is it showed you what could be examined uh yeah so it was nice it was nice to see that you were using the tools in unexpected ways and it it was i think it's a good model for anybody creating a similar type of game that's that's destined for the absolute beginner yeah even even just sprinkling clues throughout so like I, I I had the opportunity recently. We we found somebody on Facebook had played the games and then had recorded themselves. So of course I I was watching the recordings and because I know and like I, I know text adventures uh probably more than you know a younger person, I guess, I again took things for uh like for granted. The fact that I could just type X to examine instead of typing out the word examine or just how to look at inventory or even like how to just look around at other things. And so I didn't get all of the extra clues that were actually peppered throughout. Like if I think they were fun fiddling around, like trying to figure out what to do and like a message pops up, like, you know, have you ever tried looking at the phone and like the phone was in big yellow letters and like it's like don't forget you can type this to check your inventory you can check inv to check inventory and it, it was like it was baked into the actual like messaging when they were exploring so that they could keep getting reminded of the interface because i know for myself as well uh, whenever I play a game, I very quickly forget the tutorial, and and uh, so it's good to have those reminders throughout as well. And another thing, I one of the reasons I went to Adventure on, not because I wanted graphics, is because I wanted to have a map. Because I find, you know, I am someone that would quite happily take out graph paper and map everything, but that's not something that you know the current audience wants to do. I don't and so I was super happy too when Chris implemented overlays and then I could have a, a map that would update, e- made it easier to update because previously I would just make every iteration of the map where everybody was and that took a long time. But then with the overlays, I was able to make a dynamic map for, for, for people to follow. And mm. I think that also made it a lot easier for newcomers as well. Yeah, I, I liked I liked that aspect of uh, your games, and it would be even better, I think, if Adventure on had a dynamic map. And there is actually some kind of implementation of a dynamic map hidden away inside Adventure on, but it's, uh, you have to find the right <laughs> have to find the right words. You know, there. somebody's going to have to decompile it and find that feature. It's not quite ready for prime time, but I'd like that feature to be in every single game that has a rational map. So a rational map is a map with. Um, bi-directional connections that make sense because in some older adventure games uh you could go east to a location and then but to get back to the same location you have to go southwest 
That's very mm-hmm. difficult to map. It's very right. difficult to map that, that way. So um, one of the rules is that you have to have a ras- rational connections in this text eventual literacy jam, that the, the map has to make sense. It has to be something that a child could map out if they wanted to as an operation. It could be something that you, you can support your adventure with a, a PDF maybe of showing how the map, like mapping out the blank boxes and the players can write the names in. I think that's kind of fun. But it's oh, yeah. also very low tech, and it's possibly. I don't think modern players appreciate uh, this kind of tactile um, interaction that maybe people mm. of our generation we quite like. Oh, I love mapping it these things, things out. Oh my goodness! I used to map out everything. It was great. I, just I kept a book of maps. Quickly. I had a, like, you know, all the old adventure games that I kept and treasured. Cause like, this is my map for whatchamacallit. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm a nerd too. Old. So in, ter- in terms of the, in terms of the jam, what's happening this year is that we have a number of prizes like we n- usually have, but Ooh. there, there is uh, some sponsorship that's going to be announced in a, in a few days. And it's Ooh. coming from the IF mud community. So there'll be mm. more prizes than usual this year and more oh. and a lot of participation prizes because I think the goal is not necessarily to win this and really the goal is never really to win the the real reward is creating something and then mm-hmm. and then having it played by your peers or having it played by other um, I don't know especially younger players and having yeah. that validation that your design, that you were, you were designing for a complete beginner and your design is suitable and your children are enjoying your game or younger players are enjoying your game. So this year there is, um, as per usual, there is a Raspberry Pi 400 as a prize. Mm-hmm. There is another Raspberry Pi, several hundred dollars worth of prizes. Mark Hardesty has uh, donated, uh, every, Mark Hardesty has donated to every single jam. So he's donated a, a magazine called Classic Adventure magazine, which is an excellent magazine if you like these old eight-bit text adventure games. It's very pretty. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's a wonderful. So he's he's donated another one of those, and he he writes those. Uh, I think he's slowed down a bit, but he's still doing one or two a year now, and they're always beautiful. And if you like these types of games, or if you're just interested in these types of games, yeah, fully recommend. It's a free download from his website, uh, or you can get the printed version. So this is the printed version as a prize. Um, th- there's a few few smaller prizes in there but it's mostly going to be i think vouchers and cash prizes this year with a few little bits of tech here and there mm-hmm. um and that's just to kind of make make the competition more fun but it's still not a high value prize competition that's not the point so if you were to okay either either do your first game jam join up with this one or if you were to mm. you know Try and just design your very first game. If you've never had, if you've never had programming experiences, this is your first time like trying out your own text adventure. What advice would you give beginner programmers who are who are just getting into this? Uh, programming advice or design advice? Because the the two are kind of different. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not the same question. They uh, aren't the same question. Let's go with. A and B. Let's start with programming. What programming so, advice So the pro- programming advice I'd give them is to follow the tutorials, whether that be an adventure on tutorial or a tutorial for an alternative system. And what I should mention here is that this this uh, game jam is not just adventure on it. You can oh. implement you can implement this in any language that you see fit. You can have any kind of parser that you see fit. So 
last year used to be a verb noun, so you would enter two words. Now, the purpose of that was to keep it simple so the users knew what they were getting into. This year, that has been relaxed. You can use any kind of pass that you want, but the requirement there is to declare what kind of pass you have at the beginning to say, this this game will only accept two-word inputs, this game will accept full-sentence inputs. So you can use any system that you like, whether it's inform, puny inform, um, like an old-style text adventure engine like the Quill or Paw Adventure on. So you, you have the choice. And so the purpose behind this is for the players, not not necessarily for the system. So Adventure on is good at doing certain things. It's not good at doing other things. But mm-hmm. let's experiment, find what the players actually like. Or maybe there's going to be some sort of wild card that comes in and like sweeps the board and it's just a great <laughs> idea. Um, who knows what's going to happen? But it's not Adventure on only. So anyway, back to your, back to your question. Um, follow the tutorials. Just follow the tutorials. Uh, learn the concepts. And usually the concepts for all systems are uh, you have rooms, you have connections between rooms, and you have objects within rooms, and you have things that happen inside the game. Mm-hmm. And all of that doesn't really, isn't really that interested, isn't really that interesting unless you give the player a goal at the beginning of the game, which is right. let's move into B, the design. So the, the design has to be when the player is dropped inside your game, give them something to do. Give them an initial purpose or mission, even if it's something simple like, oh, you're locked inside the room, find a key, or mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, you're um, you're in the submarine, right? Find your way to the find find your way to the surface. Tell them what their mission is at the beginning. Otherwise, it's just boring. If you just drop them, you could drop right. them in the most interesting situation in the world, and you're just completely lost. You don't know what you do, what to do, what you're trying to do. Tell them who they are. Tell them what they're trying to do and tell them why they're trying to do it. So that, on the design point of view, you need that. And then there are lots and lots and lots of rules for good and bad design. <laughs> yes. Lots of, I could go like through those. And, other podcasts. <laughs> yes. There are lots and lots of rules. But that, that's the first core rule, I would say, that, that just give the players something to do immediately, especially with young audiences. They, they want to solve something right away, even if you have to spell it out. And mm-hmm. there's a sacrificial puzzle uh requirement in this jam which is a puzzle that doesn't need solving a puzzle that kind of presents its own solution and but you have to go through the motions of typing in that that kind of uh input so that you understand how to interact with this world so there has to be a sacrificial puzzle at the beginning which is don't put your best puzzle as the sacrificial puzzle because you have to give the solution as well for that puzzle Oh, that's interesting. And it's it's kind of like escape room design as well, right? Like giving people something simple to do first to interact and learn about the world, to inter to to get to know the mechanics that they're going to be dealing with and and then, you know, and not overwhelming them with information as you say. Um yeah, that's that's really cool. I I kind of, you know, I kind of wonder if escape room designers or like even just game designers or yeah actually no escape room designers uh like if if programs like this like adventure on or like other type text type adventures could be an area where you could test out your game flow almost right like can can people solve the virtual version of your room and if so how might that affect how you design the physical version i don't know I have an interesting story about that. So oh. I have an adventure on blog, which I don't update very often, but I used to update more often. And uh, I think my first blog post was called The Adventure on One. 
And the Adventuron 1 was about the first user of Adventuron, which was a gentleman called uh, John Wilson. John Wilson, if you look in Wikipedia, was the creator of the escape room, uh, oh. computer escape room. So he, he created a game, uh, I think it was back in 1988, called Behind Closed Doors, where you were, it was a single room text adventure game where you were locked inside a, a lavatory. You have to get out of the have to get out of the lavatory, and there were many many sequels, and some of them were adventure on um, sequels, which were then subsequently ported to old computers. So he was he was creating these escape room games, and that was his forte. He understood that you could deeply embed solutions to puzzles within a single within a single room, mm-hmm. and definitely escape rooms are possible in text adventure games, but they're very yeah. different because yeah. um, obviously these days there, there are so many, there are so many different types of puzzle that you can, some, some of which are tactile, some of which are visual, some of which are sound based. Mm-hmm. Now adventure on does give you access to them. And I mean, I saw them in, in cryptex and they were, they were wonderful, but there's certain types of puzzles, which just don't really suit the platform. So you kind of has to tailor your room escape puzzles to, to the media that you're targeting. Of course you do. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Especially uh, like I've just thought of it, right. When you're doing a digital game, for instance, you're, you're limited to your hotspots, right? You can't, you can't destroy uh, a digital room necessarily, unless somebody has programmed it. They're easy to reset though. That's the thing. They're very easy to reset. Right. And whereas in a physical room, you have to be aware of every single you know, painting you decide to put in or like a movable object, you know, how are they going to interact with it? And that's something you don't have to think about in the digital world. No, no. And, uh, but it's still very, it's still very interesting to think about how, how do you embed those puzzles into, into that textual environment? And I was quite yeah. surprised with how, how well Errol and the whole team did in, in Cryptex last year. There were some cool stuff. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Graphics are a whole other thing. Errol and his pixel art. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that was a lot of work. I think that, that was probably, that's that's probably the only negative. Not It's not a negative. It's just that if you want to engage in the graphical aspect of of doing text adventures, you, you'd actually have to find one yourself or or make it yourself. Uh, I, I liked how, oh, I, I can only remember her by her username and not by her real name. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, is it? Yeah, tr- yeah, yeah. Because she uses Canva, and yes. she made all of her graphics in Canva. Ooh, and it was yeah. real, but she, but has she also a video has a, as well. Yeah, yeah. But I think she has a designer aesthetic too, right? Because okay, yeah. you can really make ugly Canva pictures if you don't know. I noticed, yeah. <laughs> if you want, right? <laughs> and but she was able to find things that all melded together quite well. She made she looked, made it look easy as well. Yeah, and it looked very pretty, and so I really liked what she did there. So you aren't restricted to just pixel art, but having having that design aesthetic and know how helps too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if people want to find uh, where they can either look for adventure on or if they'd like to find information about your jam, where can they go? Uh, probably the easiest place would be just to type in adventure on space itch into your search engine. There will be a page and it has lots of links to adventure on the system and also to the previous game jams, the current game jam. So that's uh Look for Adventure on Itch, and you will find a summary of, uh, and there's a link to over 100 Adventure on games now. Excellent. 100? Holy crap. Yeah, I'm going to 
I'm going to have fun. I know that much. <laughs> right. And Errol, I would ask where people can find you, but I think you just kind of, you Nobody know, needs shout to find me. in no, the world and good. everyone knows Nobody where you are. So where I am. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today, Chris and, and Errol. And uh, telling us about Adventure On and the wonderful world of text adventures that everybody should absolutely get back into because it has to be a thing. I think that's a harder sell, but I'm all for it. The wonderful <laughs> world of text adventures. I subjected Yay! all the people in cryptics onto it. So like, it's think cool. about it this way. You made a jump scare happen through text. Like, think about that. That's <laughs> There's so much possibilities there. And yeah. <laughs> Oh, there was a great text game I played. Okay, it was like half text, I think. It started out as a text game uh, called Buddy Simulator. It's a horror game. Oh, uh, right, right. You mentioned that one, yeah. Yeah, that one is uh, that is that is an interesting game. Uh, and you start, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a buddy simulator. You get a buddy and it's all through text. And, buddy uh, or bunny as a buddy. rabbit? Oh, no, like, okay. With D's. Yeah, no, if it was buddy simulator, that'd be boring sorry i know i'm sorry oh no i don't think so so. like what does your buddy turn into a bad guy yeah yeah well you know he still wants to be your buddy just you know he just doesn't know how to go about it that's Mm. all yeah exactly um so yeah check check that out i have a playthrough of it and i'm freaked out Text Avengers have a lot of power. Anyway, um, thank you once again, and uh, hope 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 the game jam goes well. Thank you. And I shall talk us out. Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can also email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. We love getting emails. And if you're on the Facebook, you can go look for the Room Escape Divas Facebook page. Click the like button. We have community meetups every Friday night uh, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Still going on. Oh, do you still advertise that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, where we discuss everything from escape rooms to, you know, what we're eating that day. So, you know, whatever, what have you. And if you are using Twitter, you could use the hashtag REDivas. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.